0: Now we give a very warm welcome to everybody today to this uh, time of public worship, both to those in the church here and to those who are uh, joining with us online. Now I know that the intimations have appeared on the screen, but uh, just a little addition. Next Lord's Day we have uh, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's really nice to see so many young people here uh, today. Uh, But it's not nice to see the young people. It's nice to see everybody. But sometimes when it's our communion, the children disappear. Please don't disappear next Lord's Day. Let me tell you why. In the Old Testament times, it wasn't communion. It was Passover. And the children and families were uh, instructed by God, make sure they're there. Make sure that they see what's going on and let them ask any questions they want and make sure you give them the appropriate (coughs) answers. We hope to have the Reverend Kenny I. McLeod, who's the retired Assistant Minister of Stornoway, and we look forward to having Kenny uh, with us. So uh, don't disappear next door days, guys. Please uh, come along. now just, we've kind of arranged the seating here. We used to have two aisles, we have a middle aisle, so the table will be from the, the AD box forward eh, and eh, those who, who don't want to sit at the table will take up the, the, the rear pews and those who are sitting at the table will be at the, eh, the front pews. Now let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 103. It's page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. And all that in me is, stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath bestowed on thee. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. join together in prayer let's pray O Lord our God as we sing these songs may we ponder the truths contained within them we have been reminded at the very outset of that song that to worship you we must engage our spirits O thou my soul bless God the Lord and our confession is that it is easy for us to go through an outward ritual and for the heart not to be in what we are doing. But we pray that this day we would have come as humble creatures before a holy God. We come as sinners the only way we can come. But we thank you that you are the God who has not left the human race to the plight it finds itself in, but that you so love this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as we come eh, closer to the celebration of Easter, we pray that we would have a surge of enthusiasm within our souls, because this is the God who has dealt with the biggest problem that we face on life's journey that is that it comes to an end and that death will swallow us all up. But we thank you that this day we are here to worship the conqueror of death, the great substitute for sinners, that we can be the greatest of rebels in the world, but we come to you in confession of sin. And the astonishing thing is that you are more willing to forgive then we are to seek out forgiveness. Help us, we pray, to remember that this very day is a reminder to us that you are the great creator of this vast universe that we find ourselves in. That this day is a reminder to us that you are also the great saviour on the first day of the week. You rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave. And we look forward, this day reminds us that there is an eternal rest for the people of God. O oh Lord, our oh God, help us to be wise about these things. We thank you afresh this day for the sound of little voices in our midst. We pray that every family here would be together, not only in time, but in eternity. May we all flee to you as friend and saviour. Remember us as a church. Help us, we pray. Remember us as a nation. In the turmoil that we find ourselves in, we pray this day for Kate and Ali that you would give them the strength and the wisdom they need at this juncture in their lives. We thank you that there are those who are willing to nail their colours to the mast And to acknowledge that righteousness alone exalts a nation. O Lord our God. We have so turned our backs on you. But we pray that you would have mercy on us. And that you would come among us. And you would help us. That you would prosper us in nation and in church. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now we've uh, in our sermons we're on to the Easter theme just now and I'm going to stay with the Easter uh, theme for my children's talks for the next while and I've got a visual aid here with me today and I don't think anybody needs to guess what it is it's, uh, it's an egg from one of my famous hens and uh, you know if I was to ask you is that a living creature or is that a thing I think we would all say that's a thing We're living creatures, we are breathing here today, we are alive, we are people, God created every single one of us. We are creatures, we have being. But we can't call that a creature. It's a thing, it's not alive, it's not breathing, it's not making any noise at all. Now, eggs have become synonymous with the Christmas story. Not that you'll read about Easter eggs or any kind of uh, eggs associated with Easter in the Bible, but over the years, um, the the, well, I I remember when we were children, we would paint out Easter, our hard-boiled Easter eggs, and roll them down hills and whatnot. And it has become uh, sort of equates with the stone being rolled away from the cave or the tomb that they put Jesus in when he died. But there's another connection between the Easter story and these, uh, these things that we call eggs. When I was a boy in, the s- in school in Aleppo in the West, we, for science, got an old fish box and we put um, polystyrene around the edges, we put a light in the middle and we got it to the same temperature as a mother hen would have sitting on its eggs. And you can guess what we did. We, uh, every so often, we had to break an egg and take a look at how the chick was developing inside. It put me off eggs for years. I couldn't eat an egg at all. And, um, but here's the connection between eggs and uh, the Easter story. If you put that in the right conditions, it becomes a living creature. So it's not living one moment, and by and by it does become something that is living. Now how that works, nobody on the face of this planet knows. Nobody really knows. There's mystery surrounding it. But there's so much mystery surrounding lots of things in this world. But it's not all mystery. We know certain things. But here we are today... And we are here today for a very specific reason. We are to wor- we are here today to worship Jesus, the Jesus who was completely and utterly dead on Good Friday, but by the time Sun- Saturday is over and we're into Sunday, He comes alive again. What is dead becomes a living uh, being, and that's who we are here today to worship. The Jesus who did it all so that you and I could become alive in Jesus and could look forward not to just a better life in this world, but could look forward to eternal life with Jesus in heaven itself. And the Bible says that's far better. We are here today with great hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 40 and it's at the beginning of uh, the song. Psalm 40, it's found on page 259 of the Psalter. And at the beginning I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay. And on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 40. I waited for the Lord my God. read God's Word as we find it in Luke's Gospel and at chapter 23. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and at the beginning of the chapter. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. And release him. But they all cried out together away with this man and released to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? Why? And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if... He is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at them saying, are you not the Christ Today you will be with me in paradise Amen and may God bless to us that uh, Reading from his word Let's join together again in prayer Let's pray Eternal God We thank you that we have the Bible before us It is a gift from you to the human race But we need your help to understand it But your promise is that where two or three are gathered together, in your name you will be in the midst to bless. And so we ask that you would help us today. We have nothing to woo you with, but we have so much to cause you to shun us. But we realize you are a God of grace. And so we ask you to come in amongst us despite who we are and to help us to explore your word and to understand it afresh this day. And wherever your church is gathered across the globe this day, we pray that you would be in the midst to bless. We pray as regards leadership within the church and indeed leadership within nations, where there are those in positions of power and authority who are abusing that power. That you would bring them to naught. And that you would raise up those who would acknowledge you and who would be guided by you. And who would be able to lead us into paths of blessing. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing to God's praise again this time. It's in Psalm number 84. Psalm 84, and at the beginning of the song, it's on page 338 of the the Psalter. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, to me the tabernacles of thy grace. How pleasant, O Lord, they be. My thirsty soul longs vehemently, ye faints thy courts to see. My very flesh and heart cry out, O living God. For thee, we'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 84. How lovely is thy dwelling place! for a few moments to the, uh, the passage that um, we've read in Luke's Gospel chapter 23 and we're going to go back to where we were last Lord's Day and explore something of what's said in verse 43 the words of Jesus to the one that we know of as the saved thief truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. And paradise is a synonym for heaven itself. An astonishing response to the request when this man said to Jesus, Will you remember me when you come into your uh, kingdom? Now, we're staying, as I said earlier on, on the Easter theme just now, and I'm going to seek. Using uh, what comes up in this area of scripture to try to help and encourage and enable those who are in this congregation whom I have no doubt whatsoever are believers who are children of Christ and who yet have never sat at uh, the Lord's table. Now the Lord gives us um, aids, and he gives us helps and he gives us what we call means of grace and um, we don't use these at our peril because the Lord is wise and he knows what his people need and um, one of the things he gives to those who sincerely believe in Jesus And remember it's sinners who believe in Jesus. Is the table of the Lord as a help, as a need, as an encouragement. And if we don't use it, we pay a price. Now I am not going to come down on anybody whom I believe is a sincere believer in Jesus. Who has never been at the Lord's table like a ton of bricks. I'm not going to do that. I am not in a position to do that to anyone. But what I am going to try to do is to woo and to encourage people who are in that a situation. And I want to do it by exploring this area of scripture, and I want to do it under three different headings, because this man to whom Jesus said, Today you shall be with me in paradise, not terribly long ago, was railing against Jesus. But for some reason or other, he stopped his railings and he fell silent. And that's going to be my second heading today. He engaged in a period of serious reflection. And well might he do that. He's just about to die. And there's nothing quite like that prospect for making us kind of sober up and look at the solemnities of what's around us. He reflected. And then he did something else. And this will be my third heading. He rebuked his former partner in crime. He got on to him. So the railings and the reflection and the rebuke of this individual. Now, if we go to Matthew's Gospel at chapter 27, we read this, and the robbers who were crucified with Jesus also reviled him in the same way. But that raises another question. In the same way as what? Well, let me pick up the story earlier on. Then two robbers were crucified with Jesus. One on the right. And one on the left. And those who were passed by derided Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God come down from the cross. Now there's a great deal in that. Because, you know, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And they thought, they, were, they thought he was talking about the literal building in Jerusalem that took 46 years to build. And they derided him and they mocked him and they ridiculed him saying, he's going to build that in three days. But he wasn't talking about that temple at all. He was talking about himself, the temple in which the Spirit of God dwelt. That's what he was talking about. They misread and they misunderstood the words of Jesus completely. And remember the other thing they're really thriving at. If you are the Son of God. Now we've explored this a lot recently. One of the major things that caused the church to be behind the crucifixion of Jesus was that at every turn in life's journey when he performed these miracles and they said, who are you? How did you manage to do that? He always said, I am the Son of God. And that was such a thorny issue because he was saying he wasn't just human, he was divine as well. And they just were not having any of it. And so here they are, and what are they saying about Jesus? You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. In other words, get yourself down from that cross. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God Let God deliver him now If he desires him But God won't desire this Blasphemous individual This deluded individual For he said I am the son of God You see we're back to this issue The son of God And that's what brings us to this And the robbers who were crucified with him Also deviled him in the same way So at the outset of the crucifixion process, Jesus has been crucified. He's been put onto the cross at nine o'clock in the morning of what we now know of as Good Friday. And the others are crucified alongside him, one on the left and one on the right. And they're speaking to each other. And initially these two men are railing against Jesus. And basically what they're saying is this. If you are who you say you are, let's see one of your miracles and get us down from these crosses. Now, at one level, we can hardly criticize them. I need to be careful what I'm saying here. But these men have lived lives in rebellion against God They are about to die We understand why they are not easy We understand why they are not comfortable We understand why they are just clutching at whatever they can clutch at And they've obviously heard things about Jesus And they've obviously heard something of who he claims to be. And no doubt they had heard of some of his miracles. And they're basically saying to him, as were the others. If you are who you say you are, you do something about our plight right now. And get us down from these crosses. Hold up the process. Prevent us from dying. Now the thing is this. Jesus didn't always give to people what they wanted from him. We saw that in the passage of scripture that we've just been reading. King Herod never got from Jesus what he wanted from him. And what Jesus, what Herod wanted from Jesus was a miracle. He'd heard he also had heard of miracles, and he wanted to see one firsthand, not because he believed that Jesus was who he was he wasn't remotely interested in that but you know there's a circus effect or there can be a circus effect to the miracles that Jesus performed and that's something about human beings we like the circus effect we like to be entertained and uh, Herod wants to be entertained by Jesus but he's not going to get it And the question is this, why is he not going to get it? And the answer is this, because this is the Son of God. He has divine attributes. He can see into the heart and the mind of King Herod, and he can see where his motives lie, and there will be no miracle. And not only will there be no miracle, but he doesn't answer Herod's questions. He does not answer Herod's questions. Now let's remember this, that if we come to Christ in the right kind of way, if we come acknowledging who we are and we come in humility and above all else that we acknowledge we are sinners, he will hear us and he will help us and he will perform a great miracle in our lives. He will make us new creatures in Christ. That's what he's all about. Please let us remember that. Don't go away today thinking, well, he didn't listen to to Herod. He's not going to listen to an individual like I am. If you come in arrogance today, if you come looking down your nose at Jesus, if you come on your own pedestal, you're probably not going to get a response. But if you come in your weakness and if you come in your waywardness and if you come with your hands up acknowledging this is who we really are, he will heal us, and he will help us, and he will uh, indeed uh, save us. But here they are, and they're both added, they're both railing at Jesus. They're not the only ones who are railing at Jesus. There are many all around the crucifixion seeing, doing the exact same thing, but we're concentrating on these two men uh, for the moment. But then we have what I I would call a period of uh, reflection. We read in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." And that's significant. It's only one of them that is doing this now. But one of them has stopped reeling, and he has stopped reeling because he's in the period of silence. When he stopped reeling, he's done some very deep and he's done some very profound thinking and reflecting. And you know what? It is good for us to stop and to reflect on life's journey. You know, as we look around in the culture that we live in nowadays, there seems to be one thing that we are afraid of. And that is silence. Yeah. We seem to not want to be somewhere where we are completely alone and where we are absolutely silent. Uh, you, 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 you find it you can, you can hardly travel any distance without the radio being on in the car you can't, you can't go shopping without the music here there and uh, there and everywhere the, you, you, you watch people going along the street and they've got their ear pods in and, and, and what not and it seems to be that even nowadays you can't even come to the house of God without there being silence but you know what When we come to the house of God, we need to stop and we need to reflect and we need to think. And what we need to reflect on is the major themes of the Bible. And there are three major themes in the Bible. One is, God is holy, the second is, we are sinners. And the third is this, God has bridged the gap. If you go from the very outset of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to the very last book in the Bible, Revelations, it all dovetails, it all comes together, it all fits with this major three themes. God is holy, we are not, God has done something about it. He has reconciled the world through Christ. But we live in a very, very religious world so many different religions and so many people in terrible bondage because of their religion as they try to get themselves up to a grade and to a level that will ensure themselves salvation before whatever God they believe in. That's not what was on in the life and the experience of Jesus of Nazareth. He stoops down into the murky waters of this fallen world and he Tells people to come unto him. As they are. And I want us to remember this. Because so many of us have spent so much time in life's journey. Trying to sort ourselves out. To make ourselves good enough for God. We can't do it. We simply can't do it. But we don't need to do it. Because he does it for us. That's what salvation in Christ is all about. It's a free gift. We are not saved by good works. Now it is true we are saved to do good works. But these good works are a thank you to Jesus for saving us in our sins. We need to get these things sorted out in our minds. Because if we get these things mixed up, we will be all over the place. And the bottom line is this. We do get these things mixed up. Because, you know, it's not just when we come to Jesus at the very outset that we're trying to sort ourselves out and make ourselves good enough for him. That's not the end of that problem. Because believers get themselves into all kinds of messes and we slip and we slide and we fall by the wayside and here's a major mistake we make when we get things wrong and when we mess up. We then think, I need to sort myself out before I get back to God. We cannot We simply cannot. We become, we we, we put our hands up and we say to God, I've messed up, I've done it again, I'm in the same hole I've been in a hundred times before, will you have mercy on me? And what does he say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now please don't get me wrong I'm not trying to justify sin Or excuse it or condone it In any way whatsoever I'm not doing that But I do want us to be realists And I don't want us to fall into this trap Of thinking I've got to sort myself out Before I can get back to God Or even I've got to sort myself out Before I can go back to church Church is for sinners That's church is for and the church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ he's the groom the church is the bride we come as we are I know there are days when we reflect and I guess what we want to do is to run a million miles from God and to run a million miles from church But where are we going to run to And who are we going to run to? We need to be in the house of God. We need to come to this God. We need to be confessing before this God. And then to know the balm on our souls that is. The gift of forgiveness. And it is, it is a gift. And that why, that's why it is good when we come to the house of God, yes, to greet one another and whatnot, but to just have a time of silence and reflect who it is that we're coming before. Because it's not just the creator of this vast universe that we are coming before. For that reason alone, we ought to bow. Holy angels do it. In Isaiah chapter 6, six the Seraphim are bowing. And they're saying, holy, 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 it's the Lord God of hosts. They've never sinned, but they feel like bowing. But we're in a different category altogether. We have to bow because we're creatures. And I hope we do. We have to bow all over again because we're sinful creatures. But we are sinful creatures who have hope because God is who he is and Christ has come and done what he's done. And so it is good to reflect and of course the Sabbath day is given to us as a day of rest not for idleness. We come and we engage in public worship, but the rest is given over to private worship. And part of that is to reflect, to spend time in reflection, and to do some deep thinking, and to communicate with the eternal God. And that is a great blessing. So he fell silent, and he did a lot of thinking in his period of reflection. And what does he do? Well, then he rebukes. It's there in verse uh, 40. The other rebuked him saying, do you not fear a God? In other words, he's now saying something to his old partner in crime that he's never ever said before. He's getting on to him and he's saying, do you not fear God? In other words, he's saying, have you no respect for God? Now, now, he's, he's in the presence of Jesus. So why doesn't he mention the name Jesus? Why does he say God? Because he's picked up on it. He realizes this is the Son of God. In other words, there's not this if you are the Christ. He knows he's the Christ. It's dawned upon him. And he knows who this Jesus is. The the church leaders are around the cross and they're saying he's getting what he deserves. He had these aspirations, he had these dreams and they're all in smithereens because he's deluded. And he's a blasphemer and now he has bitten the dust big style. And they don't see a king and they don't see a messiah and they don't see a Christ. But here is this poor wretched criminal and he gets it. He absolutely gets it. Do you not respect God? And the implication is this, because I do. I acknowledge who he actually is. And then he goes on to say something else in the next verse. Verse 41 And we indeed justly For we are receiving the due reward Of our deeds So not only does he respect Who God is and who Christ is He's saying we're receiving The due reward of our deeds What's he saying? For the first time in all his life He's put his hands up and he's saying Do you know what? We're getting what we deserve Why is he saying that? Because he knows his life is riddled with rebellion against God. And he's coming clean about it. And he's putting his hands up. Regarding this. And he says of himself. And his old partner in crime. We have no argument with this really. The justice system of the day. Has caught up with us. And we can't cry out unfair. Or unjust. Or inequitable. We can do none of these Things. Do you know in our times of reflection If we are up front and we are honest with ourselves We have to say this Not only do we have nothing to boast about But we have to say we have mountains of sin In our life's experience Now here's a danger Sometimes we are aware of that mountain of sin to such an extent that we think There is no way in the world I can speak to God about this And there is no way in the world that I can go to God with this I'm only going to get rejection You couldn't be further from the truth You could not be further from the truth Here is God's word And God saw fit that these things should be incorporated in this word. And they will be there until the end of time. And these things are put into the word of God to meet particular needs. And it's to meet particular needs in this very church at this very point in time. It's to remind us of this. That we are sinners. But in the midst of our sinnership, we can turn to the central cross and we can say to the one on the central cross, Will you remember me? Will you please remember me? But he says more than that. He says more than that. Listen to this. We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And if we want to carry up the alliteration for memory purposes, we could say that this man is reproachless. He realizes in his time of reflection that Pontius Pilate has got it right about Jesus. Because he says on at least three occasions, I don't think he's done anything wrong. But you know, and you know, Pontius Pilate was no friend of Jesus. No friend of Jesus. But King Herod also... Joined hands and indeed became good friends with this bitter enemy, because Pilate and Herod were bitter enemies prior to Pilate sending Jesus to be interviewed by Herod, and he was really hoping to get off the hook, Pontius Pilate, and get rid of this man Jesus. He would have breathed a huge sigh of relief if he had been able to do that. But you know, strange bedfellows—they become friends, bitter enemies. Over what? Over common opposition to Christ the King. And you know, you get it in the 21st century as well. Strange bedfellows, but all in opposition to Christ, to Christ the King. But what's he saying of Christ? He's saying he's reproachless, he's done nothing wrong. And you think then, well, if he's done nothing wrong, what on earth is he hanging there on the cross at Calvary for? And here is the heart of the gospel message. It's substitutionary atonement. That word atonement at one meant, do you remember what I said about the major themes of the Bible? God is holy, we are sinners, he reconciles. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It dawned on this man who he was. And he dared say to Jesus, Will you remember me? Will you remember me? Now let me ask one or two questions. Remember what this sermon is designed to do. It is to take the Easter theme and it is to woo people who are believers. To the table of the Lord What could this man give to Jesus And the answer is this Just his faith Nothing else He has a handful of I was going to say hours But maybe it's minutes Left on life's journey What can he give him Here's another question. What can he do for him? What can a man that's nailed to a bit of wood at Golgotha do for Jesus of Nazareth? He can't even go down to his own home and witness to his own kiss and kin. It's a reminder to us of this. You know I say this often We are hardwired to this idea That we are saved by our works We are really hardwired to that And even sometimes when we think Well 98% of my salvation Is of God But I've got to put my all in And give 2% No you don't No you don't It's all a gift It's 100% grace Now remember what I said We are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. When people accept the gift that Christ is, they then want to go on to do things that are just an expression of thanks to Him for saving them as they are in their sins. That is the glory and that is the beauty of the message of Jesus of Nazareth. And let's remember this Jesus isn't saying to him you know what, what, what are you on offer what are you going to give me what can you do for me how many years can you spend being a good witness for me and the answer to all of these questions is nothing nothing I'm on the edge and all I have is my sin except that's not all he had he had faith He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And that is why Jesus gives him this astonishing answer. Today you will be with me in paradise. And you know to you who are God's people who have never sat at the Lord's table before. You may be in paradise before the next Lord's day. But if not, my encouragement to you is this. That you sit at the table that the Lord has spread for you. That manifests in symbols. This astonishing truth. That salvation is of grace. It is the gift of God. And on the basis of that gift. And that gift only will any of us ever be saved. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you are who you are. And we regret deeply, deeply that we are who we are. But we give thanks for the hope of the gospel afresh this day. May we bow in worship and adoration all over again. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise from the same song, Psalm 84. It's found on page 338 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 7. So they from strength unwearied go, still forward unto strength, until in Zion they appear before the Lord at length. We'll sing verses 7 to 12 of Psalm 84. So they from strength unwearied go.